Hi, welcome to Shift. It's PwC Canada's podcast series, and we're digging into key digital trends and topics that can make your business transformation a reality. I'm your host, John Finkelstein, and I'm also the creative director of PwC Canada. All right, welcome to another episode of Shift. This is a good one today. We're here with Cody Green, who is the CEO and founder of Canada Drives. You are a V2R finalist. That's huge. Super exciting. Congratulations on that, by the way. Thank you very much. So for listeners who don't know, that's uh, PwC's Vision to Reality Awards, where we um, award top innovation. Are you amazed? Are you blown away? Yeah, it's, it's pretty exciting to get that outside validation. So for people who may be unfamiliar with Canada Drives, why don't you just give us the sort of elevator pitch on what it's about so people know. For sure. So if you're a consumer and you're coming to Canada Drives, you're coming to us to get a vehicle and financing. So you look to us and we make the process easy. We get you your finance options. You understand what vehicles you can afford to buy and then hopefully go out and buy one of those vehicles. So the real change is from how people are typically used to buying their vehicle. Innovation for a digital world. Yes. Or something. <laughs> is that your t- You can use that tagline if you want. Yeah, no, that's, that's going under the logo now. <laughs> um, how, did, how, did you, how did you get into this? So I was working in the auto industry as a car salesman. So I was kind of on the front lines of seeing how people were buying cars. And it, it was a great place to start from because you got a level of empathy for both the customer as well as for the dealership and, and sort of identifying how people bought cars showed me how people were getting frustrated with how they buy cars. So the typical process, you go to the dealership, hey, welcome to ABC Motors, let's go test drive some cars, you like this one, perfect, let's do the paperwork, you go to the finance office, and then the big reveal. Did I get reproved? What was the payment? What was the rate? Can I afford this car? And for some people that worked, but for a lot of people, I was seeing a lot of apprehension. And so that was the kind of big aha moment is, hey, we can kind of switch these things up and sort of pair it with what people are getting more and more comfortable doing, which is that e-commerce piece. And I think I'm on to something here. So that was 2010. And that was really the time where people are starting to say, yeah, I I can buy things online. I'm I'm, I'm comfortable with this process. You go to the website, you enter in a bunch of stuff. Tell us a little bit about what happens. Yeah. So for a consumer, we try to make it as easy as possible. And for Anyone trying to get people to adopt a new way of doing things, you want it to be simple and you don't want there to be a large learning curve. So the UI UX of the website is important. It's just, hey, the most basic information we require in order to get you your options. So what happens in the background is we're then going to work with a dealership network across the country. So if you're applying in Vancouver, we're going to work with a dealership in Vancouver they're going to be working with the financial institutions along with us to get you the best rate available. And then what's going to be spit back to you, the consumer, is, hey, you said you wanted a car. You said your payments wanted to be in this range. Here are the options that are available. So you feel empowered when you go down to that dealership knowing, I'm looking at cars that I can afford to buy. I love that. So you're basically taking and you know, like what we like to call a, sort of a consumer pain point. I'm frustrated with how it works because, I mean, you know, people have been buying cars basically almost the same way. Well, I'm not going to say since the Model T, but, you know. Pretty much. Right? You, you go to a dealer and you kick some tires and you probably feel a little bit uncomfortable because, you know, that's it's, just how it is. They're pretty apprehensive. It isn't like that disconnect of who has more knowledge, who has more power 
consumers feel that they walk into and they're in somebody else's house, right? So coming sort of packed with that information and understanding your buying power as a consumer really kind of flips that on its head. How was the dealership's attitude towards you coming into the market? Was there acceptance? Was there enthusiasm? Was there reticence? I think all of those things. It really just depended on the dealership. So what we tried to do is make it easy to partner with us. So kind of like the consumer, we don't want to make it difficult to use our service. And there's always going to be those people that come down and want to sort of touch the paint, kick the tires and be like, yes, this is the one I fell in love with this car. So they're always going to have a place in the automotive retail environment. And so for dealership is like, hey, how do you guys sell cars right now? And how can we be a supplement to that? How can we be that sort of technology, that customer acquisition bridge? So you don't have to. And so really just finding a way to work with them that they don't have to change the way they're doing business. That's really interesting. You know, we talk a lot about how to get people to do something that's better and more efficient or whatever. And everyone's always reticent, right? But when you show them, it's like, you know what? This isn't actually that hard. Maybe it's fun. Maybe it's going to free up my time, whatever the deal is. Making it easy and understandable, I think, is really key for people to understand because at the end of the day, we're dealing with kind of human to human, right? You want to be doing the heavy lifting for the customer, for the dealership, for the financial institution, so it becomes easy for them. So how, did, how is this thing scaling up? How is it scaling for you? It was probably slower than it should have been to start because there was such a positive reaction from, from customers. So I rewind three and a half years and we only had a handful of staff. Um, now we're at 400 staff at our office in Vancouver, and this is going into our ninth year now. Um, so as, as far as scale is concerned, over a million Canadians will come to us to, to get their options for financing this year. Another half a million will come to us for personal loan financing options, and we've recently expanded to the UK and the US. So, How will you keep consumer centricity, or really being an advocate for Canadians or for consumers, top of mind as you continue to scale. Do you worry that, you know, as you get larger, it becomes more impersonal or like, do you worry about that? How do you, how do you keep that in check? That's, that's a huge worry. So you kind of compare where we were to where we are. So starting out, I'm the guy on the other end of the phone. So I understand exactly the experience the consumers are having. I can fix their problems. I can hear the challenges. Same, I'm the person reaching out to those dealership partners and those financial institutions. So I have a really good pulse check on what's happening. I think one key to our success was the early employees became leaders within the company. And so those sort of values and cultures have really been instilled and been passed along as we've grown up. So those are the advantages when you're smaller. The advantages when you're bigger is you get feedback just amplified. So if there's something they're not happy about, and maybe you're hearing about it anecdotally every few weeks when you were really small, now you're just getting bombarded immediately. And so you have that feedback loop is a lot quicker. And assuming you can stay agile, you can act on it a lot quicker too. I think as a consumer facing company, we don't get the luxury of not focusing on it. They get to vote every time they come to our website or not come to our website. So we have to keep delivering on our promise to them. So how, how do you stay agile? It's a work in progress. You sort of look at your, your strengths, your weaknesses, 
and you try to augment your strengths and you try to improve on the weaknesses. And so I think the biggest thing for us is we never look at any part of our business as being, okay, that's done. We don't have to think about it anymore. Everything's in a constant state of testing and improvement. And so that sort of level or lack of complacency, I think has been key to keeping the innovation going. I think that's a really important sort of nugget for people to be thinking about is that, so I heard you say, hey, you know, we have to empower our people to be able to make decisions, to be innovative, to challenge the status quo, and probably not be um, worried about that. I mean, obviously, you probably have some... There's checks and balances, yeah, of course. Yeah, checks and balances. But, I mean, it's like, uh, I hate this word, operationalizing innovation or a culture of freedom, I guess. Is 100%, right? yeah. When you're small, communication's easy and... There's not as many moving pieces, so I can have my hand in a lot of different things. Now my job more is sort of empowering those managers to ensure that they sort of understand where we're trying to go and sort of have the tools to innovate and get us there. I'm just curious as someone who's, you know, really interested in kind of retargeting, um, you know, communicating with people, especially when they come in and they don't convert. What kind of stuff are you doing to really kind of close the conversion loop? So I guess there's sort of two types of people. There's the people that come to our website and don't fill out the information. And then there's the people that fill out the information and ultimately choose not to go ahead with the service at this time, whether they didn't find a vehicle they wanted, they were just kind of curious. And so you sort of treat those two differently. And again, it's like you look at that mountain of data and say, what, what do I know about this, this customer? What do I know about their experience? And, and how can I deliver a powerful message to them to get them back to re-engage with our company, regardless of sort of where in the journey they ended up stopping? And even for those customers that did buy a vehicle using Canada Drives, it's, it's not going to be the last vehicle they buy. So how do you keep a sort of engaging genuine conversation with that customer over the next one, two, three, four years until you're front of mind again so they use you next time around. How are people hearing about you? I think one of the things, one of our strengths has always been telling our story um, and we really embraced online before I think a lot of people were. So in 2010, 11, 12, people were like, oh, Facebook, it's, it's great. You can sort of share cat photos, but it's not going to be a place where you can ever find customers. And I was like, no, people are spending that much time on a platform. If we can tell our story in a way, and it's, it's a place where we can communicate with our customers beyond sort of displaying an advertisement as well, then I think that's going to be a huge growth driver for us. And so really just finding where people are and sort of how you tell your story sort of unique to that medium. So the story on Instagram is a little bit different than Facebook or Snapchat or Twitter or whether it's a TV commercial. And so you have to really sort of nuance your messaging to make it work for that audience in that medium. Is there a grand vision for this thing? Is there, where, where does it go from here? We have the benefit of letting the customer tell us what they want. So we started in auto and we basically had our sort of first way that the customer would would use our platform and the customer kept telling us like hey i want to do more i want to be able to do it by text message i don't want to do this i don't necessarily want to go down and so that feedback loop coming in sort of drove innovation through sort of that product line those same customers were saying to us like hey i thanks for helping me get a car but i also just want cash to Maybe I have a wedding coming up or something like that. 
And so it was like, okay, this is, this is a product that our customers want. So we know demand's gonna be there. So that's checking one of the boxes. And then how do you want this product delivered to you? And again, it was the same things that made us successful with auto. It's like, hey, I want it to be online. I want it to be fast. I want it to be easy. I don't wanna have to learn something new in order to use it. And so that feedback loop, assuming we can keep it, should be telling us what products to launch in the future. From there, it's just looking at markets where we're not operating and saying, hey, is this enough alike the Canadian market in order for us to be successful with what we're doing? Or if it's different, what's different? And how do we nuance our product to be successful there? So what advice would you have for someone who needs to undergo something innovative, transformation or otherwise, within um, an existing business? Like what, what advice would you give to them to make this thing really stick? I think there's a couple of things. I would be looking at where your customers are telling their telling you there's pain points right now and I would also not treat it so binary of like hey we're going to do this huge change and this is going to be the only way we do things in the future I think you can really sort of look at different steps and sort of how you're delivering your service and say okay this is something we've identified let's try something new there let's maybe not roll it out to hundred percent of our customers and risk imploding but let's roll it out to a small subset get some feedback and, and do a new iteration, do a new version. And then when we do roll it out to everyone else, we already know what the feedback's gonna be. So don't make it as daunting and scary as it might seem from the outset. I, I think that's really good advice because I think a lot of people are really still stuck on kind of this waterfall mentality, right? Yeah. Which is we're gonna spend a lot of time making something and doing something, and we're gonna put it out there, and there you go. And hopefully it'll work. But I think the more agile mentality which is kind of what you're talking about, which is very much about small bites, iteration, testing, improvements. Because by the time you roll it out, you, you have a very good idea that it's gonna work, right? Because you've tested it, you've learned, you've iterated. And I, I hear about companies and they're like, oh, we've been developing this product for two years. I'm like, oh, what are customers saying? It's, oh no, we're not ready to launch it. I'm like, man, you're, you're toast. Totally toast. I, I've been, um, one of my favorite quotes is, latency is a killer right? Because you cannot spend two years making something and expecting it to be relevant. It's impossible. The world's changing way too fast. Yeah. When a customer comes to your website, and I've done it myself, um, you need to provide a fair amount of data uh, in order to really begin the process. I'm really curious, how do you overcome any barriers of trust? Or, you know, there's been a lot of... Um, stuff in the news about cybersecurity and, and data breaches and this kind of stuff. Love to get your thoughts on how, how do you um, encourage or engender trust and how do you keep, keep on that promise? Yeah, it's definitely a consideration. So when you were starting out, or when we were starting out, should I say, the, it maybe wasn't as front of mind for people. There hadn't been the big breaches, the big cybersecurity, and so they weren't sort of asking those questions. But people are asking those questions now and sort of what are you doing with the data that you're receiving from me? And you see sort of new legislation sort of come out every year, every month and say, hey, you need to be doing this. You need to be doing that now. The thing that we've taken comfort in is a lot of the things that they're requiring businesses to do is just good business anyways. So a new sort of data security law comes out. GDPR is the one that everyone's in a half a boat right now. 
well, yeah, there's maybe 10% net new that we have to make some adjustments for, but 90% of the stuff are the things you're already doing. So I think transparency is important. So telling a consumer what you're doing with that information, why you need that information. And so if you've gone through our application, sort of each step says, hey, I'm asking this because I need this because we're not asking information for information's sake. It's to deliver our service to you. Um, but as a company, you need to sort of be aware of your responsibilities and sort of how that ties into delivering your product. Have you seen anybody trying to uh, copy what you're doing? 100%. There's probably 100 in Canada alone trying to do a variation of what we're doing. One advantage we have at this point is we've been doing it for a long time now. So we were doing it before it was cool. And so we get those insights from the customers and, and we've sort of, I don't want to say master because it's a work in progress, but the UI, UX, the experience for the customer, we're on iteration a thousand. And someone coming in and trying to copy what we're doing, they don't actually know what we're doing that makes us successful. There's what they can see, but there's also all the things they can't see. Right. So I love that as a, as a competitive advantage, the lessons learned that you've had, but also the just the genuine desire to continue to iterate and to deliver on what people want. That's, that's the kind of stuff that really brings loyalty. 100%. We, the job's not done. And I think as long as you keep that mentality, it's not like you're a, a stagnant target for people to catch up to. You're a moving target that's hopefully getting farther away, not closer. There's so many new and emerging technologies, blockchain, artificial intelligence, machine learning. There's lots of acronyms. How do you assess what's good and what's useful for your business? There's a new one every day. Yeah. And you have to sort of filter through and say, hey, can this deliver real value to our company, to our customers? So we've always tried to be technology agnostic. So when we're looking for a solution, sometimes the answer is technology. And sometimes it's like, okay, well, we need to develop this platform to communicate with our customers more effectively. Sometimes the answer is hiring 300 people on the phone because that's the best way to deliver our service right now. And so as long as you don't go in saying like, I can't wait to solve this problem with X and saying like, hey, I have a problem. What are the different ways that I can solve it? Looking at technology, people, etc. I think you're going to be in a stronger position. I think that's really important for people to understand that there's a lot of shiny objects out there and it's very easy to get distracted by them and go, oh, we should do blockchain or we should do artificial We need a blockchain strategy. That's right. What's our blockchain strategy? It's very easy to get blinded by shiny objects. And I would certainly encourage, you know, people who are listening to really fundamentally understand the the why they're doing things and, and what it's going to deliver for people as opposed to going in with, I need this thing. You catch yourself because you're like, that sounds super cool. I would love to play around with that. But you can't. Right. If it doesn't make sense, if it's not actually helping, you're just doing it because it's that shiny object there. It's easy. Super easy. Knowing what you know now, if you could go back in time to when you started, is there anything that you did do differently? I think hindsight would be beautiful. The crystal ball we would all love to have. We've obviously gone left when we needed to go right. Hopefully most of the time we've realized left was wrong quick enough and then sort of iterated the right direction. I think I could give myself some advice to make the, the last nine years a little bit more enjoyable. I think the one thing I say now is things are never as good or as bad as they seem. And so that kind of keeps you in the middle and lets you ride the highs and lows as they come through. 
Um, but yeah, if you've got that crystal ball, we'll take it. Right. I think we're working on one upstairs in our experience center, in our lab. What's your crystal ball strategy? Yes. What is your crystal ball strategy? That's it for another episode of Shift. Cody, thanks so much for being here. Good luck with everything that Canada Drives has in the future. You guys are on an amazing trajectory. So congratulations. All the success you've had. Thanks a lot for having me, John. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of Shift. You can get more details at pwc.com slash ca slash shift. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, subscribe to our podcast series. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, or your preferred podcast platform. Just so you know, this podcast has been prepared by PricewaterhouseCoopers LLP, an Ontario limited liability partnership for general guidance on matters of interest only and does not constitute professional advice. Until next time.